You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, and on this episode, I'll be talking to Alexander Alec, an expert in shamanic culture at the University of Birmingham. And we'll be talking about the surprising rise in shamanic practice, particularly among young people. We'll also hear from Amelia Morano-Williams, Stylus's US Senior Trends Editor, about how religion and spirituality are being redefined and what that means for brands engaging with faith-focused consumers. But first, let's hear from Alexander Alec. My name is Alexander Alec, and I'm a PhD research student at the University of Birmingham. And my field is in uh, patient safety, safe practice, professional practice, and then the specific area that I research is in shamanism and how contemporary practitioners are working today, how that profession is developing or emerging in the contemporary Western world. So when you say shamanism, what is it you're talking about there? I mean, obviously, I think our listeners will have some sense of those beliefs, but probably not sure exactly what it encompasses. It's a great question because it's actually a very difficult one to answer. A lot of academics today are actually using the term shamanisms, plural, because there is tradition, what's coming from traditions. There is what's emerging in the West. But as it emerges in the West, it's gone in so many different directions and been integrated in some ways, but it's also been, well, just sort of attached to other things, especially when they're doing marketing. So they will just add the word, you know, shamanism. So because of that, there isn't a clear definition. I mean, I'm going to give you my best one in a moment here, but a lot of academics, again, are using the word shamanisms, plural, because... The field has gotten so wide and so vast. Historically, I think this is important right now, especially with climate change and the state that we're in in the world, is shaman is a survival-based proto-religion, so it predates every other religion. It's based on the worldview that everything is alive and everything is sacred and everything can be communicated with. So that's plants, that's animals. That's, you know, the, the stones and the earth itself, the sky, the stars, the ancestors, not just the humans. In that worldview is that we are all interdependent on each other. I think that's another really important feature. The defining feature in shamanism is communication through trance states. And going into trance can be through a lot of different ways, singing, drumming, dancing, but it's to really to go into an alternate state of awareness to access the spirit component of what I just mentioned, so plants, animals, stones, the earth. So this state that you achieve, has that traditionally sort of drugs been involved as well, or is that something which has been misinterpreted? Well, in some places, yes, but I, I think there's a great misinterpretation there today. Taking drugs doesn't necessarily put you into this shamanic state. It will change your awareness, your consciousness. He may have different experiences than you would in your daily life, but it won't necessarily take you into shamanic state because one of the other main components and defining features of going into another state of consciousness is that there needs to be a need and an intention reason to do this. So you're going to look for something. For example, historically, if you were in the Arctic and you wanted to go hunting and you just went outside, you wouldn't last very long. So you'd want to basically find out or connect to where are the animals. 
So you may go into this trance state to figure out where they are before you head out to hunt. Same in, in the Amazon. You know, there's places in the Amazon where you literally can't see more than a few feet ahead of you. And the Amazon is just full of things that are poisonous. So you need to know what you're doing, where you're going. So you need to have a need. So why am I doing this? Where am I going? That's very, very important. So I think drugs have been misinterpreted. Some indigenous people will use different substances to go into trance, but sometimes that's tobacco. There's a lot of different cultures, like in South America, who use tobacco to enter that state. And have you, in your research, have you observed this? Are you practicing it yourself? I am a practitioner, yes. I've been a shamanic practitioner, and I've been working in this way for about 32 years. Just from your personal experience of this? What is it you experience when you enter these trance states? I will normally have a person in front of me or a community in front of me that has a need, and we figure out together what we're trying to find. And that information doesn't live in the human realm. So that's, again, a defining feature of leaving the daily state of mind. And one way to demonstrate that is like sometimes the people will come to see me and they've been to a few doctors, they've been to their therapist, they've been to people who can help them psychologically and physically and emotionally. And now they're looking for that extra piece, you know, of the human spirit. I've been practicing going into trance since I was in my childhood. So I actually don't use any substances or even sound at this point. To me, it's really like a step sideways. And I'm not a visual person, so that's really more of a kinesthetic experience of moving into this other world to go and find the missing information that the person, if, if I can, you know, or what the person needs and what might give them another piece of their puzzle for their health, for example. And so, obviously, the reason that we're talking about this, apart from the fact that it's fascinating, obviously, but there is a, a huge rise in interest, especially in, in the UK, in this religion, the fastest growing religion, you say, and it's risen 12-fold the interest in years. So what are you seeing as the sort of motivator behind this rapid growth? Well, there's a lot of ways that shamanism is being applied, and you have the worldview that is being applied. And then you also may have the spiritual practices, and then you may also have the, the health practices. And what a lot of people are looking for is, well, they're looking for connection again to earth and something greater than themselves, I think is really important. They're also looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. And I think especially with what's happening in the world, you know, what is this? Why is this? What is this? And what can I do? I think that's part of that. And do you think the sort of rise in interest, I mean, we're talking about the past 10 years, which is also the period where interest in climate change, sustainability, having a more positive impact on the planet has accelerated as well. So I wonder if you see a connection there especially this idea that we are all connected, that the living world doesn't end with us and our pets and the plants. It's everything. Is there a connection there between people's sort of desire to really live a more sustainable life? Absolutely. And I see that with the people that I've worked with and interviewed, but also in my colleagues, I people are very, very aware of when they buy something, is this sustainable? Is it fair trade? Are people being compensated well for their work? So there's a, a big shift there. A lot of people that I'm in contact with also are 
recycling a lot on every level with materials, but also with clothes and just being very aware of vintage things or taking things on and renewing them so that they can go on using them. More from Alexander in a moment. Now, Leila Petra, Stylus's multimedia and production assistant, talks to Amelia Morano-Williams about her recent report for Stylus, Redefining Faith, Spirituality's Next Chapter. So our report, Redefining Faith, Spirituality's Next Chapter, explores how people are engaging with their belief in new ways. So this is a topic that we've actually been tracking for quite some time. We published a report on modern mysticism in 2017. And then we looked at how the pandemic changed our relationships with belief in our 2020 report, Faith in Flux. So what for you were some of the standout cases that came up during the research and what kind of key findings stuck out? Yeah, what really struck us as we were working on this report was this shifting dynamic between conventional organized religion and more individual belief systems, one that we really hadn't seen to quite the same degree in the two previous reports that I mentioned. So for many young people, it's no longer a clear-cut case of following an organized conventional religion or making their own spiritual beliefs. Rather, we're seeing them choose and pick the practice and traditions that work best to support them and reflect their own worldview. There was a particularly striking set that we came across during the report that said that 51% of British Gen Z believe in life after death. And this is compared to only 35% baby boomers. At the same time, Gen Z are also the least likely of any generation to believe in God. Only 37% say they do. This is compared to 48% of baby boomers. So we're seeing a way that Gen Z is picking the beliefs that work with them and reflect how they're understanding the world, not necessarily subscribing to religion as it's been taught to them. That's really interesting. So for brands in particular, what would you say are kind of the key takeaways Yeah, I think brands really need to understand this more fluid approach to faith and how it's manifesting in consumers' day-to-day lives and not just the, you know, high beliefs that might be guiding this new approach. So a great example of this is we're starting to see this sort of shifting faith and religion translate into rituals. So Jewish Shabbat dinners and Iftar dinners during Ramadan are ones that we focus on in the report, and there's lots of brand engagement there. But what's interesting is that they're being increasingly positioned as venues for believers, non-believers, cultural followers of faith, to come together and bond over their similarities and their differences. So the dinners essentially are using the power and the ritual that they have from religious roots to serve as these venues where people feel more open to talk about meaningful topics, things that may be taboo or feel off limits in other situations. I think for brands, this creates a really interesting opportunity to engage with a pluralistic landscape of faith. People are prioritizing rituals that hold meaning to them in their communities, so brands no longer have to think of themselves as only subscribing to a specific traditional faith. But it also creates a huge responsibility because there are so many more nuances to understand. We have these less codified terms over how to engage with traditions So brands that want to participate really have to watch how their consumers understand their own religious and spiritual practices. I think one way that's really great to do this is to engage with community leaders to try and understand what these beliefs mean in their community, how they're manifesting, and what actual authentic, realistic engagement can look like. Amelia's full Redefining Faith report is available to members on the Stylus website. 
If you're not already a member and would like to find out how access to Stylus could benefit your business, email innovation at stylus.com or visit stylus.com slash membership. Now, back to my interview with Alexander Alec. As you mentioned at the start, this is the oldest religion and still being practiced by various communities around the world in similar forms to how it always has been or has it evolved? Is it different now? If it's evolved, it's not found again in every culture, indigenous culture. It might have been. We will never know that. A lot of times when the religious influence came in, Christianity or the missionaries came to different places, those cultures lost that aspect of their practices and worldview. We can trace uh, shamanic roots back 40,000 years in Australia and about 30,000 years in Siberia. These cultures were historically oral traditions. When the people have gone, the stories have gone. In North America, we don't know how many tribes actually existed. I think today there's approximately 567 tribes. Some of those tribes have maybe as few as five or six members today. It really depends on if they're able to keep their culture intact in the last couple hundred years. It's a very important question in terms of keeping culture intact, especially when we're talking about North America, which has a troubled history with Native American culture. Indeed. Um, and so one of the interesting questions for me, for people who are interested in experiencing these things or learning about it more, how do you go about doing that without as cultural appropriation is the term used now. So how do we avoid that? I think first maybe understanding a bit of the history in North America is important. To develop a cultural sensitivity, I think that is really, really important. These are living peoples and living cultures. There really is a renaissance right now within many different tribes to make sure people are really learning their original languages and their cultures and their histories. A lot of times when I meet people from different parts of the world and talk with them, they're, they're not aware of that. So they think they're talking about a dead culture. I have heard practitioners in the UK talk about the importance of going out on the land that you're living on, going to those places and getting to know the place and getting to know the land. And then from the shamanic point of view, getting to know the spirits of the land, the spirits of the place, you know, and the ancestors and all this. And from that, you could potentially develop your own practices of how you connect and maybe how you ritualize things for connecting to that place. And then I would say to look at what's bigger than yourself, you know, whether that you call that God or a great spirit or the great universe or mystery, to look at these components are very important. That's it for this edition of Future Thinking. I hope you enjoyed it and I'd love to hear your feedback. On Twitter, we're at stylus underscore live and I'm at Christian Ward. And on Instagram, you can find us at WeAreStylus. See you next time. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.